0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor, Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Pastor Reeder, it's an honor to have you on with us today.
1: Yes, enjoy being back with you, Dan.
0: Uh, The other day you were talking about Abraham Lincoln, and I thought this would make a great thing to discuss a little bit because we have President's Day coming up folks are looking forward to this three-day weekend. What used to be celebrated as Washington's birthday is now President's Day, so um, maybe we can talk just a little bit today about Abraham Lincoln's life and his conversion. And so, uh, take it away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, Uh, Abraham Lincoln is a very interesting study. Uh, Of course, um, my kind of my secret life as a historian. That was my major in college, and uh, I had the privilege then to double up on my major with theology, but I've enjoyed it, and my area of focus throughout my life has been uh, the 19th century of American history. Now, I love world history in general and have done quite a bit of work there, but most of it's American history, and most of it is around the 19th century, so I've had the great privilege to uh, focus in on a number of individuals in the 19th century. Uh, one of the things I have the opportunity to do is to is to go down to Tuskegee and uh, take people on the study of the lives of George Washington Carver and Booker T. Washington, and then uh, Civil War uh, personages, uh, because that was clearly a um, a point of of um, a point of extreme definition for our for this country and then uh and then in the context of that of course has been a a gradual opportunity to uh immerse myself in the life of uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, who is a really really interesting character now like george washington of course many would consider uh george washington and abraham lincoln two of the most defining presidents uh, the first and 16th president of our country but um and both have these wonderful quote-unquote legends about their life, Honest Abe and, and George Washington, who in the cutting down of the cherry tree created the great legend, and then uh, Lincoln uh, going miles to get back uh, the return of money or to fulfill an obligation. Now, whether these things actually happened or not, uh, that's a that's a matter of debate, but the fact that people develop such stories either shows the seed of truth in them or what they're trying to give you in terms of the picture of the man but on the but but uh, lincoln's uh, commitment to this um, honest abe picture did not come from a uh, from a christian world and life view uh, at least in terms of a personal embrace of it now i would argue that his Commitments are affected by the Christian world and life You around him that influenced him, even if he wasn't personally committed. Uh, Lincoln actually, in the course of his life in the 1850s, published a book that critiqued the Gospels as being unreliable, uh, certainly not inerrant. Uh, there's the Gospels, the four Gospels of the New Testament. It was interesting that when he ran for president, his campaign manager, which is what we called the individual today, his campaign manager did everything uh, that he could to find every copy of those to get rid of them, lest it be used against him, because it would have been a it would have been a liability in his campaign for president. Uh, but uh, but the fact is is that um, the Lord had already started a work in Abraham Lincoln's life, uh, a very interesting work in his life. And it began with the uh, demise of his oldest son, whom he loved dearly, uh, while he was living in Springfield, Illinois. And while he was in Springfield, Illinois, uh, his wife had started attending the Presbyterian Church, which had, and for those of you who are aware of the differences, uh, had, uh, and what was called back then, an old school Presbyterian uh, pastor. And that would have been a pastor who was very much committed to biblical orthodoxy, the means of grace, preaching, prayer, worship, uh, evangelism, and and highly committed to those basics of the Christian life and uh, in his pastoral ministry and a high view of the scripture as being God's word. And uh, so he came under this uh, pastor's influence. Pastor Smith had quite quite an ability to converse with Lincoln on the level of and Lincoln was a very intelligent man on the level of Lincoln's questions and the way he handled the death of Lincoln's son not only gave a direction to Lincoln, but caused him to start thinking and questioning to the point that he began to attend this church. He, he, church attendance was not a part of his life up until then. And he began to attend. His wife joined, uh, and he would contribute to various uh, initiatives in the church, and actually eventually begin to set aside what back then they had what was called the pew tax, and so he got a, he obtained a family pew and was there and then another contribution of this church and its pastor to Lincoln was after he was elected president. He encouraged uh, Lincoln to go uh, to uh, when he, he encouraged Lincoln that when you get to Washington, you need to at least visit and consider attending regularly uh, New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, which is there to this day. I had the great privilege when I pastored in Charlotte, North Carolina to pastor one of the Uh, one of the descendants of the pastor of that church who pastored Lincoln and became quite the mentor to Lincoln. His name was Dr. Phineas Gurley, G-U-R-L-E-Y. And uh, of course, he preached at Abraham Lincoln's funeral. And uh, he and Lincoln became very close One of my great disappointments is the fact that a few years ago, a number of books were written about Lincoln, and a couple of movies were uh, put out into the public arena, and none of them acknowledged the role of Dr. Gurley, which is a documented role. Uh, Dr. Gurley's sermons attracted Lincoln, but again, it was a crisis and a moment of deep distress in Lincoln's life and despair that became the open door. And that was the demise of his youngest son, Willie, uh, who was taken at the White House uh, with cholera and began the descent to his death. Now, the background is uh, God was working in a number of other ways. When Lincoln first arrived, he would have open-door policy uh, he believed that the White House was the people's house, so he had an open door policy, uh, with some regimentation, but pretty much uh, accessibility at particular times of various days. And a Christian woman who was of a Quaker persuasion uh, came to visit him, expressed her opposition to the war for various reasons, theologically, but that she also wanted to pray for her president who was going through and facing many challenges. So what was supposed to be about a 15-minute conversation stretched into in excess of an hour. And when she left, Lincoln said to his uh, administrative assistants that any time this woman comes, uh, she is to be given access, if at all possible, to me. Uh, I enjoyed my prayer time with her, and... And I have found a Christian in whom there is no guile. And, um, and then beyond that, there was an African-American servant in the White House who was actually tending to his son while he was dying. And she led the son to Christ, a profession of faith, and shared that with Lincoln, who would come and sit by his son's bed at night in the death vigil. And she then would share with uh, Lincoln the hope of the gospel, which, of course, he had already heard in the death of his first son, his oldest son, and uh, that greatly affected him. Well, in the midst of all of this, uh, there was an extraordinary war going on, and the carnage was beyond anything that anyone had ever imagined. You had armies that were larger than had ever been assembled in the history of the country, battles and casualties that dwarfed the casualty rates of entire wars. One battle would have more casualties than entire wars. And Lincoln, uh, in the prosecution of that war, now I'm not going to get into the debate on all of those issues, but in the prosecution of it, and all the carnage, uh, he began to revisit some of the issues in his life. And all of this is all happening at the same time. This Quaker woman who would visit with him, the African-American Christian uh, servant uh, who cared for his son, the death of his son, all of those things begin to uh, come to a focus in about 1862. And and he began to write a journal that would later be published under the title Meditations Upon the Divine Will of God. Um, shortened to meditations upon the divine will. And in it, he is working his way through if God is existing and God is gracious, yet God is holy, what is it that we should see in history? Uh, Lincoln was intelligent enough to know that if God is engaged Uh, He had dismissed deism, uh, that God, if there is a God, he would be engaged in his creation and among those made in his image. And therefore, why would God be allowing this, inflicting this, or sending this? Uh, And it is interesting that he uh, basically said his his ultimate uh, answer in those meditations was that the nation, north and south, was guilty of multiple sins, including arrogance and pride, and that until we are purged of our sins um, in light of what God might yet do to and for this nation, God would continue to purge us uh, and refine us under the fire of uh, of this fratricidal war. Well, uh, that all of that process, he had finally come to that. What, what's also interesting to me is I've read other personages like Robert E. Lee and others. They all came to the same uh, conclusion. Lee, of course, was quoted as saying these matters should not have been subjected to a military solution, but they have, and God in his providence is now speaking, and that we are all covered up in our sin and must be purged by the fire of discipline and chastisement which is how he saw the war so it's interesting how these uh, men overlapped and other others as well i could quote others had come to that same conclusion in trying to understand the war and the providence of god and the sins of the nation including chattel slavery so uh and so he arrived at that position and that led to the publication of the Emancipation Proclamation, or at least affected the publication. There were political considerations clearly in the Emancipation Proclamation and moral considerations, but it was also, it was also, con- that Emancipation Proclamation was also much of the product of his work on his meditations upon the divine will of God. And so that's what it led to. And then you have this, a battle with 50-plus thousand casualties. And then when Lincoln came to speak at the dedication of the cemetery there in Gettysburg, uh, where the battle had taken place, he came to speak there and he delivered a about a three-minute uh, speech that has been emblazoned in the history of our country called the Gettysburg Address. And if one will take time to read it, you will see the presence for the first time in Lincoln's speech the vocabulary of evangelical christianity he speaks of a new birth he speaks of a a new uh, season and then he he pencils in in the editing of it a phrase under god this nation under god he also was he also had made known that he had embraced The desire that Washington had acknowledged years earlier, and that is the country, uh, George Washington has said, this country must never trust in money, must never trust in its power, and must never trust in its government. Its trust must be in God alone. And um, that's what his uh, part of his sacred fire speech had also affirmed, uh, the sacred fire of liberty speech and so the um, so Lincoln had come to embrace that that the country would uh would be not only under god but that would also uh, put its trust in the lord so in god we trust he wanted to be the motto along with washington well those were the things that were happening with him uh the war proceeds and then he is reelected and all of this time, he is attending the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church under Dr. Phineas Gurley. And he would come at the pew where he would sit on Sunday morning is marked there. You could attend the place, and they've got a, a number of, of historical information and sites there in the church concerning Lincoln and, and the place that he would sit. But on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, which he came with some regularity whenever he could— There was a sofa he would sit nearby so that he was unobserved, and then he and Dr. Gurley would have times of theological discussion and political discussion as he sought Dr. Gurley's advice on various issues from uh, the emancipation of the slaves to the readmission of the states, the southern states into the Union, and they would have various discussions Uh, not only about theology, but how theology would apply to certain upcoming issues of public policy. He also not only professed faith to Dr. Gurley in Christ, but indicated his desire to be baptized since he never had been baptized. But he said to Dr. Gurley, I don't want to do that Uh, in this election year, lest it look like a political move to get reelected, obviously, because his reelection was highly questionable at the time. And so he didn't want it to appear that way. So he said, we'll do it if I win uh, or lose. It doesn't matter. We'll do it after the election. Well, the election, of course, transpired and the inauguration uh, of his second term was in March And then the next week would be, um, and then the next few weeks would lead to Easter. And he said, well, let's just wait till after Easter. And, of course, that never occurred, his baptism, because of the assassination and the Easter week by John Wilkes Booth and his demise and death. And uh, Dr. Gurley, of course, would preach his funeral and oversee the eulogy of uh, President Lincoln. He also recorded much of this, and others recorded what I've shared with you. Uh, And there were those who did uh, some in-depth work, not the least of which was another pastor of New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, and that pastor was a man by the name of Peter Marshall, uh, Peter Marshall had a great interest in the history of our nation, as well as his commitment to the gospel and being a faithful minister of the gospel. And uh, and then uh, in 1953, uh, in the commemoration of the Civil War itself and Lincoln's birthday, which uh, we are now celebrating, President's Day, which is a confluence uh, in the and when I was growing up, you had, um, you, had, you celebrated Lincoln and Washington's birthday, both in February. Of course, I've always said the greatest men are born in February. And uh, since my birthday is February the 16th, I thought I'd try to slide in there, if at all possible. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so I, 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 that's another interest I'd had in Lincoln and Washington. So Lincoln's uh, birthday and, uh, was being celebrated that Sunday night at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, with a sermon detailing in much greater depth than I've shared with you for the sake of this program, in much greater depth, uh, his uh, conversion. And sitting in the audience, interestingly, were two congressmen, which Sunday night worship at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church and two congressmen in 1953. That, to me, is an astounding miracle in and of itself. But they were so moved by the sermon and the testimony of his conversion and his and why he put under God in the Gettysburg Address, and why, and why he wanted the motto to be "In God We Trust." That they actually initiated two bills. One bill was to insert the phrase "Under God" in what had become adopted as the Pledge of Allegiance. The Pledge of Allegiance was basically a rank statist document of nationalism. It has no spiritual references at all. It is the elevation of the state. And many were uncomfortable with that, given the history of our country and the history of Christianity at work within our country. Therefore, they made a motion that you would put under God. So uh, they put under God. Now, that's and that's why nobody grammatically does the Pledge of Allegiance correctly. Grammatically, it's one nation under God, just as a sentence, one nation under God. But nobody ever says it that way. They say one nation, pause. Pause as if there's a comma, under God. And the reason why is because when it was originally learned, it was learned without under God, and then when they put under God in, everybody just automatically paused when they uh, started the new Pledge of Allegiance with uh, under God as the controlling statement in the pledge. And uh, so that's why everybody grammatically says it wrong and Teachers throughout the ages since then have been upset because they can't get people to change and do it correctly. But that's why it's a pause that's there because it was an added um, it was added by this congressional action. And then the second congressional action was to officially adopt in God We Trust and place it upon the money and coinage of the nation, which is uh, what they did also in 1953. Uh, Those uh, statements were uh, the result of that. So uh, I would just make two final comments, and then if you have any questions, I'll attempt to answer them. Uh, But my two final comments are this. Not only—you never know what your life is going to mean in the future. The Christian life not only reverberates when it is lived, it reverberates— to, uh, to the glory of God in the future, not in our perfections, but in God's transforming grace and what he's doing in our life. You see that in Lincoln's life. I would, I would tell your listeners, one of the things they ought to do is go read his first inaugural address. And you can see the references to deity are pretty much uh, the um, uh, the very kind of thing you would hear today from a po- politician. Uh, ending the speech, God bless America, uh, and while living a profligate life and not really caring, but it really doesn't penetrate the speech. so the obligatory references to God are in his first inaugural address, but then go read Meditations Upon the Divine Will, then read The Emancipation, then read uh, The Gettysburg Address, and then read what I think is the third greatest uh, speech Uh, of of presidents, maybe arguably the second greatest speech uh, for me of the presidents of this country, and that is his second inaugural address, and read the biblical evangelical language that permeates the second inaugural address, and you can see not an obligatory mentioning of God, but a clearly embraced and growing Christian world and life view that is going to affect his policies as he inaugurates his second term, which, of course, he did not get the opportunity to finish, which I, as a historian, wish he had, because some of the stupidity and policies of reconstruction would have been drastically different, I believe, under his leadership and the plans that he had in place. So those are just some of the things that I would encourage you, and you can see the tracks of God's saving grace and transforming grace in the life of President Lincoln. So do it by reading through those. Go and take a look at his actions and what he is, and what he did, and it's really interesting to see not a a perfect man by any means, but a uh, a man who uh, is is evidencing. God's saving grace and sanctifying grace in his life. And for me, that is always encouraging. And then the effect it has on our country, not only in the 19th century, but in the 20th century, when the accounts of his conversion are heard and how that affected public policy and legislation in a positive way in the 1950s and can be into the future. One other thing I'll mention in regards to that, this is why I pray for presidents, including our current president and other presidents. You know, God has a habit of doing something to people when they get into an office. You can just see what I believe is the conversion of King Nebuchadnezzar under the witness of uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, as recorded in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, You see the conversion of Lincoln, and I could go to other instances of presidents who either were converted or were uh, matured drastically within the demands of leadership and the office of great responsibility and then how that affects them affects those around them and affects a country as well so i pray for those and i'm and uh, even in this current administration and and i actually have some acquaintances that are uh, near the president that i'm aware of their consistency in Christianity and i'm praying for their continued influence in his life as well as others and, um, and not only for presidents, but congressmen and senators, that we are, the Bible implores and calls us to pray for those in authority over us. In some cases, those requests should include their conversion as well as God's guiding grace, common grace, to guide them, and his redeeming grace, God willing to convert them.
0: Well, Pastor Reeder, this is tremendous, and uh, we're looking ahead to uh, President's Day, and today we've been talking with Dr. Harry Reeder, and he is Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Quickly, what is the web address if someone would like to look you up?
1: Our web address, of course, is Briarwood dot uh, org and um, and I do as you mentioned do a uh, ten minute today in perspective program each day in which we take a look at the events of the day from a Christian world and life view with gospel solutions and we also have a five minute devotional called Fresh Bread and a thirty minute teaching program and you can there's actually an app if you go to our website there's an app that you can get and you know, a lot of people just kind of include the 5 minute devotional and the 10 minute the day in perspective and it's a good way for them to navigate and not get upset on the way to work every morning by uh, being, by by listening to that instead of uh, uh instead of the traffic jam and of course it's on various radio stations as well thank you uh, for asking that
0: yeah and uh, we enjoy carrying you uh, regularly uh two of the shorter features and uh listeners uh, constantly say that, how much they appreciate that. Today, we've been talking with Dr. Harry Reeder. And Pastor Reeder, thank you for joining us.
1: And it's my privilege and thank you for all that uh, you do and, uh, and all of your efforts.
0: And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.